Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at. I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show, and I think you are all wonderful. Everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How are you all doing today? Well, I know I'm doing great, and I'm going to tell you why I'm doing great. I am doing great because I am so thrilled with the guest that I have on today. Okay, this gentleman, as a matter of fact, we were talking briefly, to say that he's a researcher and investigator. I think he uh, was doing this well before the time that people were thinking of it as um, as what, what it is present time. Uh, his name is Mr. Stan Gordon, and um, he has been involved with researching UFO sightings, Bigfoot encounters, and other mysterious events in Pennsylvania since 1959. 1959. Uh, since then, he has been involved with the investigations of thousands of unusual incidents. Uh, he's the primary investigator of the 1965 UFO crash incident that uh, occurred near Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's been taking calls on UFO sightings and other strange reports from the public since 1969, which is what we were talking right before we started, that he probably has heard so many versions of encounters. I mean, he must be a, more than a walking encyclopedia for this information. And as it is right now, he still continues to receive unusual reports on a regular basis. Uh, he's a producer of the award-winning UFO documentary, Kecksburg, The Untold Story. And he's also the author of the books, Silent Invasion, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Casebook, and Really Mysterious Pennsylvania. Uh, one of the, uh, he, he's also appeared and frequently on radio and television programs discussing his research on these topics. And he's been interviewed for TV and radio programs, nationally and internationally. You've seen him on his history, Discovery Channel, Sci-Fi, Fox News, Destination America, and Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, and he's also been a guest on Coast to Coast. So that's why I'm so thrilled. That's why I'm so happy. So anyway, how are you doing today, Stan? We're doing fine. Thanks for having me on your program. Absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. And um, like I said, you know, I knew that you had... Many, many years, and I didn't realize just how many, because 1959, you told me, that's when I was just 10 years old. Okay, let's, let's start with that, because I'm always so intrigued about 
what happens to people in childhood. Yeah, well, how I got involved, my birthday, coincidentally, happens to be during the Halloween season. And my parents thought it would be a good idea to get me a a birthday gift, which turned out to be an AM radio, because I was already into electronics and radio stuff back then. Okay. On the radio dial that night because of Halloween, and there was... From haunted houses, the flying saucers, the animals, and... I'm listening to these reports, and I'm wondering, are these people making these stories up? Are they telling the truth? So I began to go to our local Greensburg library where I live and read all the books they had on the subject, and then I just watched the newspapers and cut articles out, made scrapbooks on these kind of stories, and as time went on, I got more and more interested. And then I was 16 years old in 1965 when the UFO incident happened near the little village of Kexburg, PA, okay. about 12 miles from where I lived. And I got involved in that, and I started documenting the information that's breaking on the news. And I've been working on that case every ever since, so I guess 53 years later, and I'm still getting some information on the incident. And that's how I began in the field to do first-hand investigation of all these different phenomena. And in 1969, I set up a hotline for the public to report UFO sightings. Well, as you recall, back in those days, things were a lot different. We had no cell phones, no Internet. Yes. A lot of the calls are coming initially to the police, and um, as people began to find out about my hotline, the phone in my home is ringing off the hook day and night. And wow. calls are coming in, not only about UFOs, but anything unusual, from haunted houses and ghosts to strange creatures and weird sounds. Any unusual, I was getting calls. Well, became apparent very quickly this was much more than I could do on my own. So it was my goal to establish a volunteer group of hopefully research people who would go out and investigate these cases firsthand. So in 1970, I founded the first of three groups that for many, many years investigated these sightings in Pennsylvania. And the first group was called the Westmoreland County UFO Study Group. It started small. It moved into the Pittsburgh area. And um, I was amazed who, who got involved with my group. Most of them did anonymously because of their positions. But I had scientists and engineers and technicians from our, our leading uh, plants in the area from Alcoa, from Westinghouse, from Gulf Research. Uh, There were scientists, there were uh, people, uh, police officers and former military intelligence people, a lot of people with specialized backgrounds. So we did this all out of our own pockets and around our own time. We all worked full time. By 1973, I expanded the group to cover the whole state of Pennsylvania. We are getting multitudes of reports in. To our surprise, we are getting referrals from the police departments, from the news media, and we are being bombarded with reports. And during that time, it was lucky we were set up by 1973. Wow. We can talk about this later on. 1973, we had the biggest outbreak in history of Bigfoot UFO sightings here in Pennsylvania that was ever recorded anywhere. Went on for weeks and months, was making a lot of local and national news, and that's when we uncovered some of the strangest cases ever documented with UFOs and Bigfoot seen together. And one thing more I'll tell you uh, before we get back to your questions. Okay. In all the years I've been doing this, mm-hmm. surprised mm-hmm. many people, I have never personally seen a UFO in Bigfoot myself. I've interviewed thousands of witnesses. I've seen a lot of evidence, but I have not had my own encounter. But And you know what? I know you mentioned that, but at the same time, I'm sure, I'm, and you made a very good point. When you started this hotline, talk about being ahead of your time. This was before, this was when people, if they had one a phone they usually had just one okay so the fact that you were getting flooded with calls think about all the people that 
didn't for whatever reason because they didn't they were scared or they didn't have access didn't call you and even then you got so my point is you have heard probably so many different stories uh so many whether like you said whether it's ufo sightings haunted houses whatever and i'm sure along the lines you kind of develop like an internal vetting system where you know this person's telling the truth and this other story is like mm, and come on you're not this is the thing, like you said, even if you haven't witnessed this firsthand, all these people are going to be, what, either hallucinating or lying? Come on. It's like incredible that, you know, it, it, the preponderance it, 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 of evidence is in the, to the contrary. Yeah, it, it's still amazing with the calls of the people I interview call all the time calling in here. It were by way of email, then we, we uh, make contact. And, you know, I actually, for years and years, myself and my teams would go out and actually do on-the-scene investigations, okay. which we did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times over the years. And in some of those cases, you know, we had physical evidence at the scene. Wow. And we did laboratory analysis. We recovered materials. We had labs examine them. And we were very – we got very involved with what we could do. And uh, we uncovered a lot of very strange things. And, and the more I know about the phenomena we're dealing with, the more and more it indicates we're dealing with something that's very strange and unusual and my own feeling is that our government has been involved in this for a long time of investigation research that there's indication interested by both not only in UFOs but also Bigfoot as well mm-hmm. and I, um, I think they're finding the same thing and I am that the phenomenon is much more complex and unusual than anybody realizes they know a lot more than to tell the public but they don't have all the answers themselves trying to figure it out. Yeah, and that's one of my theories, which is that, yes, that I do believe absolutely what you're saying, that the government has a lot more knowledge than they've ever let on. And as much as they know, I think sometimes part of the reason why they might have been holding back is, besides obviously the, the secrecy of it, is that there's a lot, like you said, that they don't know. And if once they ever came out and talked about it, of course, everybody's going to know. What do you know? Tell us. Yeah, well, we know this, but there's all these other things that we don't know. And, of course, that's when everybody's going to be like, what? We thought you knew more. <laughs> and that's because, and you said it, this is, I think, is a very complex subject. Uh, or it, it, there's just like, it goes beyond what you might see at from the onset, whether it's, UFO sightings, or like you said, uh, you mentioned that there's a correlation sometimes between UFO sightings and sightings of Bigfoot. I mean, it could go in so many directions. Um, oh, yeah, it's amazing. Well, let me tell you, you know, Bigfoot in Pennsylvania is nothing new. I mean, talk about Bigfoot goes back to the legends of Native Americans across the state. There were newspaper reports in the 1800s talking about encounters with these things and strange footprints being found. So it's something that's been going on for a long, long time. I started investigating big reports here, again, when I went out into the field in the, in the 1960s. And I had always considered Bigfoot, if it was real, and I was beginning to believe, and I, and I have no doubt in my mind, people were encountering something. The question mm-hmm. is, what is that something we're dealing with? And I always thought it was very likely it was some type of unknown primate or unknown animal. But since what happened in 1973... And the multitudes of, of people I've interviewed in Pennsylvania alone. And these reports are as recent as the last several months. And uh, I think we're dealing with something. 
and I can tell you about some of the incidents we worked on that highly suggest we're dealing with something that is much stranger and much more unusual than apparently an unknown primate. And as reluctant as I am to say it, I think we may well be dealing with something that, for lack of a better term, is interdimensional. We're dealing with something that has a physical and a non-physical component to it. It can look physically solid at times. It can leave evidence at times, and then it's gone. They come and they go under certain conditions. Okay. And, I, and I've heard that theory, and I think it's very plausible. Um, and it, in some way also it explains, like what you said, where at times they're sighted and then they're, they're, they, can't be, they can't be found. Uh, and even now where we have like these, sometimes these different cameras and trail cams, you know, uh, types of technology that maybe we didn't have 50 years ago that you would think, okay, Maybe it would be easier if you don't capture the actual creature. You get more evidence as far as in a movie. And I think that that theory of being able to go between one dimension and the other uh, explains why sightings sometimes are just firsthand. In other words, people will say, I saw this. Uh, but... Where did it go? I think is the question, especially when you're talking about what's described sometimes as what a creature that's eight, maybe nine feet tall. Uh, and I, I also think yes that they're very good at also camouflaging themselves, but still I don't think that totally explains why sometimes they're so difficult to actually capture either on camera or actually capture one. And you said and. And I'm going to ask you this real quick. When you started that hotline, were you shocked at how many calls you got? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, 1960, uh, 1969, you know, there was not a lot of talk about Bigfoot and cryptids and UFOs mm -hmm. that much on TV. And, and there was a lot more ridicule on the subject back in those yeah. days. But I began to make contact with local police and the news media. And they were taking me pretty serious because they knew I was being very skeptical and objective and then 1970, when my first uh, research groups founded, well, we had a lot of, you know, very skeptical scientists and engineers and research people who got involved initially. And a lot of these people spent years with me out in the field investigating. And, again, a lot of them came in the skeptical. But as time went on, and they multitudes of witnesses over a widespread area, they began to listen to the little repeated details. Mm -hmm. They began to see the patterns. They saw the physical evidence out in the field they soon began to realize something is happening here. We just don't understand what it is. Right, exactly. So let's fast forward. You said 1973, something took place, which even for you, that you already had all these years of reports of sightings, it was something unusual, even that unusual within the unusual, I guess. What is it? What happened in 1973? Well, this will take a little bit of time. There's a lot of, we could talk for days about this, but 1973, first we have the biggest outbreak of UFO sightings. This started January 1st, continued to the last day of the year. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds come in across the state. And, of course, and I may have mentioned this earlier, uh, if I didn't, it's the same today as I found years ago. A lot of reports could come in that initially sounded from a, a typical paranormal event to a UFO to a Bigfoot. And a lot of the reports initially sound very strange. Right. Most of them can be 
from reputable people who are just reporting what they're seeing, but if you take the time to properly investigate the reports, many are determined either natural or man-made in origin. So there's a lot of things that are misidentified we can track down and figure out. However, every year, even in recent weeks, there are incidents that are going on all the time. I deal mainly in PA. I get calls from around the country. I deal mainly in Pennsylvania. But all around Pennsylvania, around the country, around the world, week after week, year after year, some very strange things are going on, and some of those cases are not easily dismissed. So 1973, of all these UFO reports, but interestingly, a lot of these are not lights in the sky. These are large structured craft that are low to the ground. Some have portholes in them. They're, uh, they're hovering over highways. They're pacing cars. Sometimes there's uh, power, localized power failures when these things are seen around vehicles. There's landing reports where there's physical traces on the ground wow. and examined some of those cases. Uh, and back then, this was being covered a lot in the local newspapers. So a lot of this was making local and national news on these sightings and our investigations. And um, so this went on all year. But then in the summer of 1970, we have the biggest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings ever documented. And that went on for weeks and months in 1974. My silent invasion book goes into great detail, focus on all the strange things we uncovered. What It was just amazing. It was an amazing time to live through. And how it all began, I got a phone call from a witness, well, excuse me, from a relative of a witness who lived in a rural area, actually only several miles from where I live, okay. by what was then the old Green Gate Mall. And there was a lot of woods back in those days. And people had this little house down there. And it was a warm night. It was July 31st of 73. I got the call a week later. And this man was shaving early because he always got up early for work. He was shaving early. He had, the, he had the window up in the bathroom, but the screen was in. He began to smell this funny rotten odor. He turned around and looked in the window, and here's these two huge glowing red eyes staring at him. Oh. But the wind is eight feet off the ground. Oh. And they had several dogs there, and the dogs didn't make a sound. And they thought, boy, that's really strange. They bark at anybody who comes nearby. Uh -huh. Well, that was the beginning of this series of reports. I went out to interview him a week later because he went to the hospital after that, maybe as a result of it. Yeah, I and bet. went out to interview him. He was still pretty shook up. And um, while I'm there, I find out that several of the local boys had taken a shortcut over to the mall several weeks before. They heard a commotion in the woods. They thought it was a deer. They began to throw some rocks in. But instead of a deer, it comes a seven to eight foot tall hairy humanoid creature with long arms crossing the road going up behind the house. So I was able to interview some of those boys, and I got permission to go up and look around on a property, and a few of the kids followed me up. And I remember I'm looking around for a while, and I'm about ready to call it quits when I happen to look down, and there on the ground is a partial track and also a, the strangest-looking footprint I had ever seen. And the kids came over and said, what kind of animal can make a footprint like that? It was 13 inches long, 8 inches wide, clearly three-toed. So I got on the radio, called one of my associates. He came out, and we took photographs and measurements and made a cast. And while we're there, we get a radio call that one of our investigators north of Pittsburgh that morning was investigating the answer was something 9 feet tall, was looking in a window, and the police found large footprints up there. That was the beginning of this massive Bigfoot wave that went on for weeks and months all across this part of the state and other parts of the state. Many of the Bigfoot sightings were in daylight. 
Many of them were extremely close range. We're talking 5, 10, 15, 20 feet away from people where they walked out in front of cars, near mobile homes. Right. In other words, it's not like, oh, it was a bear, but it was in the woods, so I thought it was a Bigfoot. This was clearly, this is what they were seeing. Yeah. And in some cases, there was more than one of them together, like two or three of them seen together at the same time. And in a lot of the cases, there was physical evidence at the scene. So you got to remember, back then, either my teams would be out there or the police or state police would respond, or we would both respond to the incident. So they were being documented. That's why I documented all this stuff as was happening back then. So this was going on for months and months. And we're, we're on the scene sometimes, again, within minutes to hours. So everything was fresh. And there was some really interesting things there. And probably one of the most outstanding bits of evidence that I did see and others observed was the animal reactions. You can fool people. You can't fool the animals. And very commonly... Um, when domestic animals farm features, they were extremely frightened. They wouldn't eat right. They were doing things they didn't normally do. But most commonly, you could see the reaction in the dogs. Even the most vicious dogs were, like, paralyzed. They would not bark. They cowered. They hid. They wouldn't move. They would shake. That's something that was seen over and over again. There's no possible way you could have fabricated that to happen. And that, that was a very interesting bit of evidence for us to, to observe. So all these, UFO, all these UFO and Bigfoot reports are going on, and then we began to see some very strange patterns. For example, we would get a report of a Bigfoot sighting in a certain area. We would get out there with a short time later, and there would be trails of footprints. But in some cases, those tracks would suddenly stop and disappear when there should have been more tracks. Okay. Even in recent years, in heavy, fresh snow, when there's an extended series of footprints, they just suddenly stop and disappear. There's no more tracks. It didn't make any sense. Then we began to see a pattern. We would have a UFO sighting, and a two days later, we would have a Bigfoot sighting, or vice versa. And then we have cases seen together at the same time and place. And believe me, we weren't out looking for these type of things. Um, right. well, yeah, go ahead. No, no, what I'm thinking is that you, because of all these records that you have been keeping previous to this, you were able to compare and realize what's going on. You know, oh, and, yeah. and like you said, you're, you're seeing uh, an intersection of this type of sightings and this type of sightings. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it, it was, like I said, it was just an amazing time. And uh, again, you know, we, we began to see these strange patterns out there. And we began to see these well-documented cases of Bigfoot UFOs seen together. One was September 27th, uh, north of Pittsburgh, where two women were waiting for a friend to pick them up. They see this seven, eight-foot-tall, hairy Bigfoot with white hair. You don't hear about the white ones very often, but they are still reported on occasion. They see this huge, hairy creature running across the road, but in one of its hands, it had a small, glowing ball of light. And a short time later, this object comes across the sky and projects a beam of light down into the woods where the creature ran into. We thought, that's pretty fascinating. Well, then more reports began to come in. And then we had the case of all cases. And we could talk for hours about this one case. Again, I wrote the whole thing up in my Silent Invasion book. It's so detailed and probably one of the strangest cases ever recorded in the world. And that was October 25th, 1973. This is up in Fayette County, Pennsylvania. And we'll probably mention Fayette County because 
it is a hotbed yearly for phenomena. Really? The, the area known as the Chestnut Ridge. The Chestnut Ridge is a mountain range that runs about 100 miles long from Preston County, West Virginia, through Westmoreland, Fayette, Indiana County, and south, southwest PA. These areas are just yearly reports coming in from different people all along the ridge of weird, weird things. And we had many of them last year. And uh, already this year I've had reports coming in. And um, But anyhow, outside of Uniontown, up in Fayette County, about 10.30 that night, October 25th, I got a call from a state trooper from the Uniontown State Police Barracks. He uh, told me he had just came back from investigating this multiple witness UFO sighting, and he thought there was a good chance there was something still up in the pasture on the farm, that he wanted me to get a team up there as soon as possible. Well, it was late at night, but we did. We got a team together. We got our, our radiation equipment. We got our other equipment, uh, our radios and everything checked out, and we found our way up to that farm. And uh, at 9 o'clock that night, about 15 people in that rural area, they observed this barn-sized, round, bright red ball, about 100 feet off the ground, slowly moving downwards. What? And um, as this one fellow that's the farmer's son who owned the farm, he's riding down that farm lane. He sees it. He sees his people outside looking at this thing. So he goes up on a hill to another neighbor's house to get a better view watching this thing, and it looks like this thing is coming down in the pasture. So he and two young neighbor boys decide they're going to go up to see what this thing is. So he runs over to his dad's farm, and he grabs a .30-06 with a handful of ammunition, and uh, they start making their way down that farm lane towards the pasture. As they are doing that, the dogs around the area are going crazy. They hear, like, this high-pitched whining noise, and they hear these baby crying sounds. Oh, a and baby they make crying their way up. Oh, my God. Like baby crying sounds. And oh. they make their way up to the top of the hill, and they're standing there looking over to the pasture, and about 250 feet away, they can't be on the ground or right above. 100 feet or more in diameter, it's a big white dome that's illuminating the area, making this loud whining noise. And they're standing there in amazement, but then their attention is drawn about 75 feet away to a barbed wire fence. And along that barbed wire fence, moving towards them, are these two tall, hairy, Bigfoot-type creatures, one behind the other. The one in front is about 8 feet tall. The one behind it's about 7 feet tall. These things are covered with long, dark, matted hair. The arms are so long, they're almost down to the ground. They have no neck. And the eyes, they said, are about the size of 50-cent piece, but they're luminous and glowing green. They're making that baby crying, whining noise. Oh the, one kid, the one kid's so scared, he runs out of the field. The other kid starts yelling to the guy, shoot him, shoot him. So the guy takes his first shot. Happened to have in that handful of ammunition two tracers. So those people at Hunt know when you fire that tracer, you get that luminous trail. He fired that tracer, no effect. He fired the second tracer, and when he fired that second tracer, the largest of the two creatures reaches out as though to grab at that tracer, makes a loud whining, crying sound, and the exact moment it does that, that big luminous object in the field just vanishes and disappears. It doesn't take off. It just vanishes. Wow. So all that, almost all the glow is gone. The, little, the loud sound it's making is gone. The creatures turn around at that point and start walking along that, that fence line back towards the woods. At that point, the guy is firing live 
live ammunition from his .30-06, which is a powerful weapon. And until he passed away, he said, I'll never forget how that large creature stared at me with those glowing green eyes as I'm firing into it, my thirty out 6 and there's no effect on it whatsoever. And the creatures just keep moving up. Well, the guys run back to their truck to go to the farmhouse, tell the family what happened, take them to a neighbor's, and call the state police. When the troop arrived 45 minutes later, he, um, he and the witness went up into the field to look for evidence. And the trooper told me, the area where the object was on the ground was soft luminescent and glowing, about 100 feet or more in diameter. He said the farm animals would not go near it. He told me, he said, I shined my flashlight beam into it. I could barely see the beam. He said, if I had a newspaper, I could have sat down within that glowing area and read the newspaper for the light coming off that glow. What? And that's the short part of the story. It got weirder and weirder. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It got weirder? Oh, my God. Uh, and then later, these mystery men showed up. You know, uh, some people may want to call them the men in black. Uh -huh. However, one was in a suit and one was in Air Force uniform. And it got stranger and stranger. That was the case, among others, that convinced my team that the Bigfoot phenomena is a lot more complex and a lot stranger than any of us had ever imagined. And, and then if you think that was strange, as the reports continued, they got weirder and weirder. And again, you got to remember, a lot of these were coming to the police departments first because people didn't know who to call at that time. Right. And and then we had a case, and I'm glad to tell you about it. That was the case that convinced me that there may well be more than a flesh and blood explanation for Bigfoot. And uh, that was up in that same area there, up in near Ohio, Ohio, up in Fayette County. Okay. And what happened? Well, it was February 6, 1974. And I'm sure some of your listeners might recall this time period. There was a big national trucker strike. There was gas rationing going on. You might remember that. Oh, yes, I sure do. Okay. Uh, there was a lot of violence on the roads across the country. Here in Pennsylvania, there were shootings going on. So the National Guard and the state police were patrolling together. They both responded to the about. I couldn't get up to the scene until early next morning because I couldn't get gas down here to get up there. Anyhow... February 6, 1974, way deep up in the mountains of of Ohio, Ohio. It's a very thickly wooded area. A um, woman who lived there all her life, very familiar with the animals, was a very good shot with her with her guns. She's sitting there in a little cabin home watching TV like she normally did in the evening. She begins to hear this noise like something's knocking the pop cans around on her little cabin front porch. So a few weeks before, she had a... a a pack of wild dogs coming through. So she figured the dogs are probably back. Uh -huh. So she mm -hmm. thought, you know what, I'll grab my shotgun, and I'll just fire over their head, and I'll scare those dogs away. Okay. So she she loads her shotgun, and uh, she walks over to the wall and turns on the switch for the outside porch light. She walks to the front door, and she opens up the door, and there's no dogs there, but only a few feet in front of her, it's this huge, hairy Bigfoot creature with its arms straight up over its head. Oh, my God. And and in the many, many times that I interviewed her, never did she call it Bigfoot. She said, I look like a great big hairy ape. Okay. So here's this huge creature standing in front of her. So what does she do? She fires right into it with a shotgun. <laughs> I don't she said, there's, she said there's this bright flash of light, like the flash on a camera, and the creature disappeared right in front of her. Now, that's not even the end of the story. 
her in-laws lived 100 feet away. They heard the gunshot, and they asked her what she's shooting at. Her son-in-law grabs the sidearm. He starts walking up the, the dark road towards her cabin home. He sees a figure running down the road. But he said he got closer. He's surrounded by four or five hairy people with eyes like coals of fire, starts shooting at them, runs into the cabin, and about the same time, there's this large object with red lights on it hovering over the woods like a big Christmas ornament. And that's when they called the state police. So, as I said, they, they got up there. Uh, it took them quite a while to find the location. When they got up there, nothing was going on. But I talked to the primary state trooper, the investigator, and he said, I don't know what happened up there, but it was really weird. And that he based on the animal reactions, which, again, we talked about earlier. Yes. I know these people, they had a number of animals out there, and he said it was so bizarre. He said they had several really big dogs. I think one was an Eskimo Spitz, one was a German Shepherd. One of those big dogs was in a pen. He opened up that pen. That dog should have been barking. Should have ripped his arm off. The dog wouldn't even move. Wouldn't even respond. Wow. There was no barking at all when they got on the scene. And the next morning when I got up, everything was back to normal. You can't fabricate something like that. Exactly. And, so and, and, and in the, that case where, for lack of a better word, he was in the way of first responder in the sense that he was the first and talked to these people. Like I said, after a while, you develop like an inner... When you know when people are telling you the truth, especially when you're in that position. So I'm sure he would have told you, oh, these people, you know, mate, they had too much to drink. So he's telling exactly. you from the point of view of when I interviewed them or when I was there, there was something going on. And the animal thing. God. Right. And I can tell you, over the years, I've interviewed people from all walks of life, women, children, you know, men, women, and children, all walks of life. I've interviewed state troopers, municipal police officers, military and commercial pilots, doctors and nurses and lawyers and doctors and just all kind of reputable people who have absolutely no reason to make up these stories because 99% of them want no publicity whatsoever. Yeah. Most of the people calling here, that's the first thing they said, I'll tell you my story, just don't use my name. I hear that all the time. So they have nothing to gain. But as I'm interviewing these people and they tell me these little details, a lot of things they wouldn't even realize are important. And, and in so many of these cases over the years, you get these little details and you put the puzzle together, and it's amazing because there's no way these people could have known some of these things. And you can see the response in their faces. You can see how they're responding. You know, something in yes. many cases affects these people's lives because in a lot of these incidents, the best witnesses are people that don't believe these things can occur until they have their own personal encounter. Yes, and talk about a shift in your reality. That'll do it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, in other words, this, these are people that, like you said, these are ordinary people who are just living their lives. And this happens, and it's like you can't deny it. And that's what I'm saying. These people have these, I imagine, experience a paradigm shift that, okay, now i got to get back to what I think is my normal life, but how much of what I believe is normal or what I thought of the world as before is that's it. That that's That's been destroyed because of what I witnessed or what I experienced. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like I said, I deal with this on a regular basis all the time with people. And uh, last year, as I mentioned, we had some very, very strange cases. I mean, they go on every year, but we had some extraordinarily strange reports. And one of the reports that came in, you know, I get a lot of cryptid reports. So, of course, as you know, mm -hmm. cryptids are reports of creatures that science has never confirmed exist. In more recent years, besides the, the typical cryptids, the, the Bigfoot, 
some of the what you call the dogman reports people are looking into now. The Black Panthers, the Thunderbirds, the giant birds with massive wingspans, which I've looked into many of those reports. Um, all kind of floating entities, winged humanoids. It goes on and on and on. But I'm getting reports of things that are even much more bizarre than that. And what? one of these things happened to be seen by a police officer on patrol last year um, east of Pittsburgh, where I'm at. And um, this was late August. The officer contacted me uh, soon after he was on patrol and called me about this because he said he was dealing with something. So it was the weirdest thing he'd ever seen. He didn't. He just couldn't even figure out what he was seeing. But he's riding down this dark road where he normally patrols. So he's familiar with the area, and he sees ahead of him what appeared to be a, a ball of light that wasn't real bright. It was kind of a dull white light low to the ground. And he's thinking, you know, this is odd because I don't know of any artificial lighting out there. So he stops, and all of a sudden this light suddenly. Um, rises up or stands up from the ground. And as he's watching, he realizes this ball of light is actually the head of a strange being about six feet uh, tall or larger. Oh and God. it was a very skeletal, thin body. Holy and he said that basically the, the luminosity from the head was lighting up uh, like up around the shoulders and uh, parts of the upper body. And as you watch this thing, it turned to the right. The dull light was, again, lit, lit up the shoulder area. The creature turned and faced him, then turned to the left and took off, he said, at an incredible speed. He said, as it moved off, he said, he could see its arms swinging, but he said it took off at a speed that you could only call abnormal. He said it was faster than and then it was gone. And that's really interesting because other witnesses who are telling me about UFOs and cryptids, they're telling me and almost using the same words. And the officer said this thing is six feet tall or larger. The head was about eight to ten inches in diameter, shaped like a ball. But he said it had possibly some egg shape to it. And um, it lit up the shoulders, the top of the chest, the section of the arms. He could not see the hands. Right. He said the chest looked to be about 18 inches across. He said the waist appeared to be small, the arms were unusually long, the long limbs looked skeletal with no muscle mass, the skin tone appeared to be a dull grayish blue, he could not see any facial features. As the thing ran off, he pulled his vehicle up, put on a spotlight, and looked on the ground, but he couldn't see any evidence. And then several weeks later, I get a report from another witness who didn't even own a computer, uh, this person shared her account with somebody closer, and that person encouraged her to call me, and she described seeing something very similar, except that uh, it wasn't glowing, and this thing came out of the woods and came up there, I mean, within 20, 30 feet of her, and then she ran off. She was so scared. Uh, and then there's another report that uh, has come in very recently, and I don't know if I, I don't think I have that in front of me here, but uh, Lon Strickler from the uh, Phantoms and Monsters website, he uh, did a report on this, and he had a report of this creature uh, that was seen in the suburb of Pittsburgh uh, just in the last week, actually. And um, even though it was darker, uh, several witnesses saw this creature that, and when you look at the sketch, and by the way, if they go to my website, stangordon.info, they can look at some of these reports. The sketch by the police officers on my website, okay. there is some similarities to it, with what the witnesses saw just this past February 4th in a suburb of Pittsburgh. 
And that's just an idea. I mean, some of the weird things going on around here. And I imagine that for you, because see, you're you're getting all these calls where you're seeing, okay, here are people that have no connection whatsoever, but they're reporting very similar creatures. So you're the one that's realizing, wait a minute, how can all these people who have no connection, or maybe from what you're telling me, don't even live close to each other, really as, a, as in that they could share the information, are describing similar experiences. Yeah, and, and that's what I run into all the time. And it, it's fascinating over the years because I've, my records go back to the 1800s up to the present day. And uh, I've had people from 20, 30 years ago who have waited to share their account. Yes. And surprisingly, in some cases, I could go back, look up the date and time, and the general area where they had it, and they were amazed to find other people in their area reporting the same thing years ago. So yes. they were so happy that they weren't crazy that other people were seeing the same type of thing. Yes. And and I've heard of that very often where people, uh, either because they're scared or maybe because of their jobs, they, they just don't want to say anything. Uh, and then they, like you said, many, 20, 30 years later, they finally say, okay, I got to get this off my chest. I got to talk about it. And then that's yeah. when they realize, hey, or, or like you said, right around the time I was having this experience, other people were seeing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, something that's pretty common has come up in recent weeks. Is I, I do a lot of lecturing uh, locally and nationally on the subject. I've been doing that since I was out of high school. And uh, everywhere I go, people come up to me and share their experience, or they prefer to contact me later and mm -hmm. do it because of the privacy, and they don't want anybody to know who they are. But uh, a lot of these people have 60s talking about seeing these large structured craft, big metallic objects, dome-shaped objects, hovering low, you know, pacing cars, like I said, uh, portholes in them. I mean, that was very common in the, in the 60s in Pennsylvania around the country. Wow. They weren't lights in the sky. These were large structured craft, some cases on the ground, and that's when you start hearing these reports of these small humanoid creatures, maybe three to four feet tall. Okay. You didn't hear a lot about them in the news at the time, but that's the kind of reports we were getting. And it's so fascinating to talk to these different people who don't know each other, and yet I, I had so many reports from the same areas uh, from different people that I had records of, and they were so surprised. And let me ask you something, Stan. Do you have reports of anybody that wants to have a sighting or an experience? then it, it happens again for them? Uh, yeah, it, it's hard for me just to say that. Are you talking about somebody that is going out there trying to have an experience? No, 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 no. Like you said, in some cases, in other words, these people are seeing a creature that made no attempts to hide themselves, to disguise themselves like they see it. Like It's almost like they want to be seen, I want to say. Uh, do any of these people along, uh, have said, this I saw this thing again, or it was by my house again, or uh, that there was more than one encounter. Without them wanting to, like now that people go off and they're hoping that they're going to have that face-to-face -face with uh, either a UFO or a cryptid. This is somebody that, again, this thing, almost for lack of a better word, sounds like they're attempting to be seen or communicate or something with this person. Have, have you ever had anybody like that say? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I can tell you, a lot of the cases I have, they're random accounts where they just, the person in the right place, if you call that the right place at the right time, mm -hmm. where they see a UFO, they see a cryptid, 
lots of times it happens one time. However, and over the many years I've been doing this, I, I began to study backgrounds of people, and I didn't have a lot of time, unfortunately, to do because I was so overwhelmed with all the other reports coming in. But there are some people, from the time they are very young, very, very young, they appear to experience various type of phenomena, from the paranormal to having UFO encounters, and then later in their lives they have the cryptid encounters and other things. And some of these have happened through generations of families. Really? I mean, I can think of one person I've probably been in touch with for probably 40 years. And this person, from the time she was little, she had a missing time experience. Okay. One of the one of the real popular ones where there was a massive search for her. And the firemen had been searched for hours and hours. And they found her right in the middle of a field where they had searched many times. She had no idea she was even missing. And wow. since that time, she's had multiple accounts. But then, over the years, her children, her grandchildren have experienced these things as well. And this is not that uncommon. Wow. You know, and, and like I said, the, the phenomena is so strange, it protects itself. That's something I said for a long time. It's so bizarre and so unusual that I don't think anybody understands, including the government. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, it, it's, it's very complex. None of us have the answers, but there's a lot more of this than any of us ever, ever thought so many years ago. So the answer is yes, and in fact, at times, the various phenomena seems to focus on a certain family, a certain uh, area, a geographical area, maybe a, uh, a farm, for example. Okay. It's, for example, the Skinwalker Ranch of yes. Utah. But there are a lot of places around the country. I mean, I know two of them here in southwest PA that um, this is go goes on. I know one particular family several years ago lived on this nice farm, and all of a sudden, they began to have all kind of paranormal phenomena occurred. You know, poltergeist and things moving around the house. Then they began to hear screams and cries, finding huge footprints, seeing Bigfoot, all kind of strange lights, UFOs, all kind of weird things. It's been going on now for probably over two years, and many people there have experienced it. And I'm and I've had reports of people living right around there, didn't even know anything about it, describing the same thing. So these things do go on, and these people, a lot of them I know are not wanting it to happen, it's just happening. So sometimes there are some people that have had a history of having repeat encounters. Wow, yeah, and that's what I suspect sometimes. Uh, because, I mean, I belong to MUFON, and I've gone to some meetings here, and I belong to another group that, it, you know, people come and, you know, after the meeting, you know how people hang out, and people just, you know, they chit-chat in groups. And I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people, that describe something similar to what you're saying that they've had one encounter maybe as a either child or an adolescent and then it's like throughout their lifetimes they're they're seeing in other words have encounters if not i'm not even talking it doesn't even have to be an abduction but they start experiencing things or sightings uh into adulthood yeah more than one yeah. person has told me that yeah, I've heard that many, many times over the years. And, um, I mean, there's so many different aspects of these things a lot of people know about. One thing I've been very interested in, we had some amazing cases last year, what I call the mini UFOs. You know, when people think of UFOs, they think about the large disks, the, the big cigar-shaped objects, the triangle right. objects. Uh, in more recent years, we're getting more reports of these big, solid rectangles, like big box-shaped things in the sky, even daylight hovering over the trees. And we're getting a lot more reports like that. I can 
remind me, I can tell you about a really classic one the last few years of the Gray case. And uh, But these many UFOs, I've been investigating them since the 1960s. There's, they're ongoing, and these are amazing because they're not high in the sky. These things come down, and they're within a few inches to feet from witnesses. In some cases, they actually enter people's homes and cars through open windows, oh then generally float out through the windows or sometimes go right through the wall. And these things are generally in diameter. Sometimes they're just bright light sources. Sometimes they're transparent. I remember one case uh, we had up near where famous Punxsutawney Phil lives up near Punxsutawney many, many years ago. And a woman told me she was cooking in the kitchen this one morning, and the window was open. One of these small little spheres floats around the kitchen, and her reaction is she grabs her broom and starts striking this thing. (laughs) And she said it split the two identical little spheres, floated around, they floated back out the window, and were gone. Wow. Now let me ask you this, because... And, and you're the perfect person since you've been working in this field for so many years. Do you see, do you think that there's more encounters or is it just that people are reporting it more and it's been consistent throughout the years? Or do you see, okay, I'm seeing where this is building up. Even if, yes, like you said, now everybody's got a cell phone and it's become more mainstream. And What do you think? It's always been the same all along just before people didn't either didn't want to or didn't have access to report it? Well, I think it's a couple things. I think, one, yes, of course, we have the Internet now. We have cell phones. But the main thing, Internet, people can look it up and see there's the somewhere they can call if they're not familiar with it. People are a little more a little more willing to talk about these things, even though most of them don't want any personal publicity because they see that it's being covered a lot on TV now and the different TV shows and radio right. shows. So. They know there's a lot more open-mindedness and, and interest in the subjects. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of different things. I, I can tell you this, what I call the, the classic UFO cases, not the lights in the sky, but the case we used to have back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, again, of, of large structured craft, very low to the ground, where people got, saw great detail, you know, of solid metallic vehicles with portholes and catwalks and... Things like that. I mean, it was amazing. So, I mean, I've got hundreds of cases like this I've investigated. And um, you did hear about those in, in more recent years, going back the last, I'll say, 20-some years, those cases kind of faded out. But I'd say since maybe around approximately around 2013, I'm beginning to see an increase again in these large, solid craft, even in daylight okay. being reported very low to the ground in Pennsylvania. So we're seeing a lot of these reports. But personally, I think these things have gone on all the time. It's just that people didn't know who to report uh, to or reluctant to report. So I, I think this is an ongoing phenomena, but uh, we're hearing more unusual reports in more recent years. And I know without, because really we can't. Do you think that we're being uh, either visited or contacted by different extraterrestrials or interdimensional beings? Or do you think it's just one with different versions, or are we talking two separate, or many, not two, it could be multiple uh, ETs from wherever it it is that they come? I I think that's a good question, and and long ago I indicated that I felt that there was more than one origin for the unknown category of UFOs. But, again, it's such a complex phenomena, 
we don't really know enough to say that some of these may not be crossing over somehow. I mean, could some of these be extraterrestrials, but they're also able to be time travelers, or mm -hmm. they're able to go through, move from one dimension to another? We just don't know. I, I can tell you this. One thing I found many years ago, it's still ongoing with a lot of cases, is that many low-level, close-range UFO encounters and many close encounters with Bigfoot and the Thunderbirds or giant birds and panthers and other weird creatures, they commonly vicinity of energy sources. So really? many of them take place close to power plants, high-tension power lines, uh, reservoirs, gas wells, gas lines, uh, radio towers, uh, windmill farms, railroad tracks. Very common. I have no doubt that there's an energy connection to the phenomena we're dealing with. And... It, it's it's so strange and unusual what we've uncovered. I mean, I have a whole new lecture I do just on the strange aspects of the elusive Bigfoot. And I get the areas of Bigfoot that most people have either never heard of before or I'm sure in some cases people in the Bigfoot field would rather not discuss it because it goes away from their theory right. of it being an unknown primate. And I keep an open mind to all possibility as to what Bigfoot is until we have the evidence. Sure. But... I can tell you this, I started writing about this probably 40 years ago, publishing my findings, and in more recent years, I'm seeing a huge reaction from people in the Bigfoot field now who are beginning to ask the same questions I did long ago, like, for example, if these are a normal flesh and blood animal, after so many years, why don't we have more physical evidence, why don't we have a body by now? It doesn't make any sense. And when you, and you, when you read about in my books and, and the case that I talk about and the things I've investigated of these incidents, there is so much indication that some of these creatures are something other than flesh and blood. It's, it's mind-boggling, let me tell you. I bet. I, I, now, let me ask, when you said that thing about that, you've seen a correlation between sightings being close to power sources. Do you think that it's them seeking power sources, or is it because, let's say, whatever that power source is, for some reason, it thins out? if you want to call it a doorway or a rip between dimensions, what do you think it is? Well, again, it's all speculation. We don't know. Maybe we're going with both. We don't know. I can just tell you that in, in certain conditions, it seems as though these things can appear. They come out of, I mean, I, I, I have cases with Bigfoot, for example, and even Black Panthers and other creature reports where these things, they look, it's hard to explain, but they're physically solid, but sometimes they're not. Or sometimes the entire body is not solid. Or sometimes they can only see sections of the body. That's what I'm saying. There's cases out there people don't have any idea what, of what's going on, but I'm not the only one. There are other researchers okay. around the country, around the world, that have had these cases for years. And, yes. and they know about it, too. And, and many years ago, when I started talking to these people about it, they said they knew about them, but they were reluctant to publish it because they didn't want to be laughed at by their peers. In more recent years, more and more you're finding about these kind of reports. People like uh, Nick Redfern and Linda yes. Moulton Howe and other investigators out there who have had similar kind of reports. So it's something that's been going on for a long time. The Native Americans have talked about this, that, that these creatures uh, are more spiritual in nature than flesh and blood. Right. And, you know, a lot of these things we used to laugh at, you know, you, know, you look at the sci-fi movies from the 1950s and 1960s, and, you know, the, those cases, uh, those, some of the scenarios on TV have now come true. 
And I think it's just a matter of time in our future that we'll be able to develop the technology and instrumentation that we'll be able to find out some of the answers to what we're dealing with. But right now, I think we're dealing with something that's so beyond our present scientific understanding that we we can get some sometimes, but we just don't know what's going on. And, you know, the reason why I had asked you that question about, if, you know, if you saw an uptick in sightings or was it just that more re- more reporting uh, or access to reporting was, do you think at some point, well, or if there's a building up to, I don't want to say disclosure, but um, some type of revelation where it stops being the he said he said you know where oh yeah and you know in other words proof do you think that's ever going to happen that there's some type of moment maybe in the next let's say 10 years or maybe 15 where it's going to actually be either proven or an admission one of the two well very hard to say you know, I know. i've been monitoring this for a long long time over many many years there were times that were coming forth where there was indication that uh, something was going to be revealed, and then, of course, it never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see it happen, personally, unless I think we have an incident that's uh, similar to the Kecksburg case or the Roswell case, and the media can get to it quicker, or people can get to it quicker with their cell phones and get it documented. Right. Probably just not going to happen. Uh, do, I, do I feel the government, again, knows more than they're telling us, and has probably got in in their possession possibly some pretty good information or pretty good uh, materials, maybe. I mean, I've talked to people over many, many years uh, who claim that they were involved in UFO uh, programs, that they were involved in recovery of, of UFOs, something that was considered extraterrestrial. Okay. Uh, some people claim we've seen the bodies over the years. Uh, you know, and again, I, I, for many years, was very much what we're dealing with is probably extraterrestrial, but the more I've learned about the subject over the years, the more and more I think we're dealing with more, again, more than one origin to the unknown category that may be a small percentage are extraterrestrial. But again, I, I think we're dealing with something that has a physical and a non-physical component to it. There are many, many UFO cases, even in daylight, where these things suddenly appear and disappear. They physically change form. Um... And then other interesting things that come up. For example, years ago, I, I began to look into the backgrounds of witnesses. And I remember one case where it was a, a group of people. And only, I think, a couple people in that group could see the large, solid object hovering over top of them, and the other people couldn't see it. Oh. So is it possible that the phenomena is attracted to certain individuals yes. that have capabilities other people don't? Or is Are some people in a position they have a capability to uh, interact with this phenomena because they're more sensitive to certain phenomena. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all things that sound so strange, but the more you look into it, it may be possible. There's, again, a lot we just don't know about. Do you think that there's been, do you subscribe to that theory that there's been an exchange of technology? In other words, not just recovery of either bodies or, you know, wrecks, that we've actually had an exchange of technology? Um, again, you hear a lot of these stories. Yeah, I, I, I always hate to comment on cases I'm not directly involved in because you're all kind of things out there, mm-hmm. and some of them are really interesting reports. But one thing I found a long time ago, lots of times when you check reports out 
or you hear things that are supposedly really important details, and you get right to the source, you find the stories have changed, some of the details are not accurate. So it's really hard to comment on these things. But um, I would not put, uh, I would not say that was not an impossibility, okay. uh, because I know there's people in the field who've done a lot of studies on this, and they felt that there was a, a definite injury after the Roswell crash in 1947. And I was also told that after the Kecksburg UFO crash I worked on in 1965, that there was some type of development uh, as well, technological development, allegedly not long after that object was recovered. But again, we have no way to prove it, but some of these stories and some of the information we have is pretty interesting. Right. And the reason why I asked that question is, you know, recovery of materials or bodies or whatever it is, that's almost like, okay, we're, we're, we're finding that stuff versus when we're talking about an exchange of information, even if it's, it appears that they're at least, I don't want to say what intellectually or whatever, God, you know, like you said, not knowing what their, where their source is from, that we're kind of a little bit of a disadvantage, I guess is my point. Like maybe they're just giving us X amount of information. It's like two theories or are they just doing their things and we're like little kids like, oh, look, we found the body. Oh, look, we found the wreck or we sighted it. Uh, and then, of course, lately, because everybody's got a phone and a camera and uh, we're able to capture better pictures. Uh, but it's almost like they're around and we they're they're paying attention to us, but not really paying attention to us. It's and I guess what I'm going with this is, you know, there's I'm sure you've heard the theory of. One is that that they're benevolent towards us. How's that? That they're benevolent. And then there's another theory that warn people like, okay, you really don't know. We're going to be on the short end of the stick as far as um, our encounters with these beings, wherever it is that they come from. Because obviously they have better technology. Uh, who knows? Do you think that... Which way do you think this is going to go? Are they benevolent towards us, or are we guinea pigs? <laughs> That's about the, well, the best way I can think of. Well, once again, it's a it's a topic we could speculate for hours about. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you of the thousands of UFO cases I've worked on over the years, these things did not appear to be hostile with such to people. In a lot of cases, these objects were close to people. I mean, some of the very few cases with any physical effects on people, but it may have been just due to their propulsion systems, for example. Right. Um, with Bigfoot, for example, they I've interviewed, again, hundreds of people who have seen them. Many people have been very close to these things. Whatever they are, they seem to be very curious of human activity, but they're generally not aggressive towards people. Even cases where people shot at them with different types of weapons, which I don't recommend doing, but people have done that. And hunters, others are shot at these things, said these things, in some cases they fell down, they got up and they started moving towards them, but they stopped and turned away. And they said these things easily could have grabbed them if they wanted to, because these things have such great agility, they can move extremely fast. I've had reports of them chasing deer, carrying deer over their shoulders. Yes. Um, so again, there's so much here we could talk about and we could discuss and theorize right. on, but nobody knows for sure what's really true. Right. And, and like, and, and, and again, like you just said, you know, and I've heard of that same thing 
where there's uh, been sightings of Bigfoot, either with deer, uh, uh, reports of hunters who know they've killed an animal, and then when they get it, they come to retrieve it. It's, there's nothing there. Uh, and then it makes you think, okay, obviously if, if you've got an animal or a creature that's hunting for food, okay, then it's obviously organic. But, like you said, that there's that component of it's able to basically maybe step into another dimension or are they being picked up by ETs that maybe like let them out like, okay, go and run around and get some food and then we'll come back and get you. I mean, I know I'm being very like tech, you know, modern, like human kind of the way we relate to things, but it's, I know there's theories out there that, that think that the ETs kind of like do that. They kind of, like yeah. you said, that there's that correlation between the sightings of cryptids or Bigfoot and then UFOs at right. the same time. Right. But what I, what I want to express is I'm not suggesting that Bigfoot is a passenger in a spaceship from another world. No. From next You know what? I, I, I'm just we saying, I'm just that. putting that out there because, yeah. like you said, Please. this could go in so many ways. You could extrapolate these theories in so yeah. many directions as to, uh, you know, are we looking... And, and like this, like you said, you know, here's people that are citing things that are able to go through walls. You know, are we talking interdimensional? Can they change the rate that they that they vibrate in, um, you know, according to laws of physics? I mean, it's like there's it kind of makes you realize for there's so much we don't know or understand. Because sometimes I'm thinking even I think if we were offered the knowledge, we wouldn't know how to understand it. Um Exactly. I mean, we we may have recovered spacecraft. Who knows? It may be so advanced scientifically. Right. We're looking at it. We don't understand it. We don't know what to do with it at this point. Yes, exactly. And that's where I'm going with this. That, like you said, and in, and when I say benevolent, I'm and, and exactly like what you said. Even when people at, at sometimes have acted aggressively, they haven't been aggressive towards us. Uh, and it's almost like it makes you wonder they're giving us a pass because they just don't know any better. Um, or are they observing us for what? Uh, and I, I'm sure you've heard of all the theories of all the cattle mutilations and all these other things and uh, negative experiences with people saying that they've had alien abductions. I mean, there's. I'm sure you've heard different versions of all of these or missing time and then people having the recovered memories, uh, which is why I asked you, do you think, you know, is there more than one type I guess is the best way to look at of ET out there, each with their own agenda. Maybe some just to strictly observe, and then oh, others yeah, well, who are more hands-on. Yeah, well, as I, I mentioned earlier, I thought for years ago, and I still think that there's more than one origin for the unknown category. So could some be ET? Maybe. Could some be interdimensional uh, phenomena? Could some be time travelers? Could some be unknown natural phenomena? I think there's a lot more to this than we know. I think uh, the more I know about a lot of these phenomena, that somehow a lot of the different phenomena are somehow interconnected. Uh, like I said, there's no doubt there's an energy connection to some of the phenomena we're dealing with. It, it's so doggone bizarre. It's so complicated that, again, I am not so sure any, you know, in our lifetime, any of us are going to figure this out. And, and I think the government, once again, they've been trying to figure it out for years, and I think they're finding the same thing. This is a much more complex phenomenon than anybody ever realized. 
Well, and, and let's, you know, since we're going, um, and I'm going to give you one of the theories of, uh, you know, part of what I, um, part of my practice at one point was hypnotherapy. And um, there's a technique, it's called SRT. And I'm, I'm going to do like a condensed version of it. And basically, after you put people under hypnosis, you know, sometimes they, you know, it's done whether to address phobias, fears, uh, whatever. And, um, and, it, and it's a, part of it is a little bit on the esoteric or alternative hypnosis where people are sometimes complain about spiritual attachment. But the point I'm trying to make is uh, several hypnotherapists, many of them, by the way, doctors, that have done this when they put the person under hypnosis and basically they're able to see the attachment they have, what they described is not a human, it's an ET, okay, that is basically within the, how, how would you want to call it, I don't want to say the aura, but within the, the part of us that's either spiritual or that you can't see, in other words, it's where basically they've attached and they're studying this person. And the first time I read it, I was like, what? In other words, very similar to what you're describing, that this doesn't necessarily have to be uh, organic the way we see it as in solid, that some of these ETs have the ability to basically integrate with us on a level that is not strictly physical. All right. And I mean, the, one of the books out there is, by a doctor he's already passed dr uh bill baldwin he described it. he was one of the first ones that went into that and he came across it almost strictly by accident and that's usually what happens with a lot of people that are doing this uh the hip you know the hypnotherapy part they kind of stumble over it and then when the person that's under hypnosis describes it they realize wait a minute what you're talking about is something that's not per se human in origin and I, I wanted to mention that because of what you said of what might be some of the origins of ETs, that they strictly could not be what we think of as in, or maybe the way they travel or the way they they can go from one our dimension to another. I mean, that's like the big, huge question mark uh, as to where they come from and how they travel or things of that nature. But I think that, um, and it also explains, and I'm sure you've heard of even people that, that they say that have been abducted, that they claim, you know, that they've been, uh, they've had inserts in their body, uh, different parts of their body. Uh, a lot of times either when they're very young and then throughout their lifetime, they're, they're basically being picked up again by these extraterrestrials. Like, in other words, we're going to do a case study on you and see what happens with you um, so i mean it's it's one of those things that you always wonder where it eventually is it going to lead to is there any is there ever going to be a moment where we're going to have our the answers to the questions or a meeting of the minds or a, a something where it, this is going to and i imagine for somebody like yourself that's been doing this for so many years I imagine you would you would love to see that happen, right? Yeah, well, actually, I'm very familiar with the uh, abduction phenomena because I was one of the first in the country to get deeply involved in investigating back in the 60s. Okay. And uh, 
my group, we investigated multitudes of alleged abduction, missing time cases. The problem was there were so many cases. They're so complex, you can spend weeks and months and years on one case. Well, we were so overwhelmed with reports always coming in, we couldn't do a lot of the studies we wanted to do. And, of course, we were doing this uh, without any funding, too. So we were limited to what we could do. But I can tell you, uh, we worked on many cases. Many of these, again, came from reputable people whose lives were being upset about something very odd happening. Some of them, again, uh, some very interesting things happened. And, again, over the years, sometimes we saw that other generations of the family would begin experiencing things as well over quite a period of time. So uh, yeah. there was some fascinating stuff. Can I say these people were abducted by extraterrestrials? No, we can't. Right, exactly. But something was happening to some of these people that was definitely having a you know having uh, some uh, effects on their life uh, life uh, situations. Yes, yes, and I think I think it's um, you know a lot of people don't realize that a lot of these experiences that sometimes either their person or family has, it's not like they really want it. <laughs> Imagine, they really, there's a lot of people, despite what some people think, oh, everybody wants to be a reality TV star. It's like, no, there's a lot of people that these things happen to that they don't want to have that experience or they don't want to have that sighting. It's like, I want to be normal. I want to go back to the way things were before my reality shifted. Oh, yeah. That's very common. Most people I talk to wish they had never had the experience. Yes. Yes, it's, it's. It's uh people don't 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 realize that uh, talk about pushing out your boundaries uh, because let's face it as human beings we're all creatures of habit and we like to have our our normal whatever that normal is and when that normal is you kind of start thinking this is not my normal is not real or it's very limited. Even if you don't want to admit it, that's it. That that bug is in your head. That seed's been planted, and for lack you can't escape it. And some people handle it better than others, I imagine. And some just they they. It's like that. What's that saying? Ignorance is bliss. For a lot of people, it yeah. really really is bliss. Well, like you said earlier, you know, to some people when they have the experience, they want to try to find out everything about it and try to figure out what happened. In other cases, people want to just completely forget about it, pretend that nothing like that ever happened because they couldn't deal with it. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Yeah, like like I said, and you know what? Especially with a lot of the TV shows, every you think everybody's out there like, oh, I would love to, you know, have that, see whatever ET, whether it's ET or cryptid or Bigfoot or whatever. And I'm thinking for everybody that's out there, I'm telling you because. I've worked in this field since the 1990s, and you know, like I've, like you, like you, I've not as long as you, but you know, you when you have people that come up to you and talk to you, and sometimes they even haven't told family about certain experiences they have. There's a lot of people out there that it's like, this is I, I, in other words, I before I had the experience or the knowledge, I thought, wow, this is that'll be interesting, but once it actually becomes the reality, it's like, who told me? that I wanted to know about this. They, it's like, before it was like, oh, that's interesting, but you, you're kind of like a child, you always think, that's nah, not real. But then when they have that firsthand experience, whatever it might be, then it's like, okay, who told me that I wanted to have this experience? We're, uh, and that's what I'm saying for you, 
you having spoken to all these people, I'm sure you've run across that where uh, people weren't looking for it. They weren't going off uh, to the mountain and see if they could see ET or the UFO or find you, uh, Bigfoot or a cryptid. It just happened to them, which I imagine for you also, it, it offers some validity when they tell you this story uh, because they weren't looking for it. Yeah, yep, and that's true. You know, you brought up something uh, several weeks ago. I was at a, a very large uh, event speaking at in, in the Pittsburgh area, and many people were kind of sharing their encounters. And I remember one person was with a close relative, and that person did not want to discuss what had taken place several months ago in front of that person. So later we made contact, and we got in great detail about it. And uh, very interesting, this happened in the Pittsburgh area in recent months, and it was an encounter with a creature that scared this person incredibly bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, since that time, I've had two other people contact me. These are all different people, yes. probably within a 30, 40-mile range, who all told me that last October, all these happened the last October, all three of them had encounters with some very strange things that completely scared the heck out of them. Yes. I mean, one was a very experienced outdoorsman, hiker, hunter, and this guy sat there in front of me, and I mean, you could just see his face. He yeah. said, I've ne- I, want, he said "I want to stay out and outside anymore in that area again." Yeah. And after what happened, he said, I, "I never could have believed anything like this could exist." I mean, that's the kind of things that are happening. Right. Exactly, and and, and it, that's that's a perfect description, Stan. This guy was very experienced, and he probably thought, "I've seen everything." And now this guy's afraid to go outside because everything for him has changed. His yeah. reality has changed. His perception of the world has changed, okay, because it's like, I saw what I saw. And now, and like I said, some people know how to handle it better than others. And some people do the, if I don't talk about it, pretend it didn't ever happen, then it'll go away. Uh, I mean, of course, we're all, you know, we're very different the way we handle but I guess my point is that people don't realize that these incidents sometimes are stressors because it's like, no, this is not the movie where you turn off the TV at the end. It's like, oh, it was kind of scary for a second. And, but it, this is it. This is the reality when you have these experiences or sightings. This is, that's it. You, there's no turning off the TV and thinking, ah, that's just make-believe. That was a great story. Even for grown-ups, I guess is what I'm saying. Despite what, how old you are and let's say you've had a lot of experiences whatever their life story is everything shifts for them it's like how much out there that i thought was make-believe or mythical is actually real because look at this now that happened and i think for some people it opens like a huge gulf of the unknown like what else is out there that i thought never existed or could be possible and now it's changed so I mean, and I'm like I said before, you've probably heard so many stories, and you've had that like you you described that firsthand um, retelling where you're looking at this person and you could see their physical reaction when they're telling you the story that this is something that they believe that they experience, especially if there's fear involved or how do I explain this? How do I fit this? How do I fit this into my world? 
So, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> That's right. Well, but, I can tell you, back in 73 again, we had that massive Bigfoot outbreak. Yes, and in, in, in like I said, and even now, it's most important that you're the, like I was telling you, you're the go-to person, which is great. You, because, first of all, you've been around, you know, based, receiving all this information all this time. And you have, um, you are known as an expert. People feel like if there's anybody I can tell, it's this person who, first of all, is going to listen. He's, well, he believes me or not, but at least he's going to listen. And maybe he can even tell me, hey, guess what? I have heard of similar stories. And people imagine, don't you, have you ever had that where people go, oh, thanks. Thank you for letting me know that I'm not by myself and having had that experience. Oh, yeah. Well, I've heard that many, many times over the years. And I'm just kind of going back to that 73 time when we were going to the scene. And some of these people, I mean, I, I saw grown men with tears coming out of their eyes, standing with guns in their hands. And I can remember one case, I had the state police were there. These guys made a stand there after they had a Bigfoot sighting, made a stand there until they went in and got their clothes because they left their property for a short time. They were too scared to stay there. Yeah. This- it's like that's that right you're not it's like i'm not faking it like i'm out of here see ya i can't explain it but i don't want to find out forget it let's just get and like like go leave so yes absolutely absolutely i think there's a lot of stories out considering like i said even the all the ones that you've received throughout the years how many do you think that are out there saying that they never reached out to anybody they never told anybody okay they just said and they, and if anybody else was there to witness it, they said, shut up, let's not talk about it, or we're moving. <laughs> so for all those thousands, I imagine, of cases that you've come across, there's a lot of people that have had similar experiences, and some have even probably taken it to the grave. Um, oh. Yeah, I mean, that's so common. I, you know, I, I, again, in some of my lectures, we talk about this, and the fact is, you know, I receive a lot of reports, but I also know many other researchers that get reports. And these people come up to me all the time telling me about incidents that happened the last few years and sometimes 5, 10, 20 years ago, never reported it. Can you imagine how many reports are really going on out there and yes. we don't know about it? It's incredible. Yes, because contrary to what a lot of people think that people are falling over themselves to share these experiences, is like, no. You know, whether it's with back in the 50s or the 60s or even present day, there's a lot of people that it's like, are you kidding? For whatever reason, whether because they're just genuinely scared, uh, maybe they have a position or a job where they think, if this got out, this would ruin me. Even though it's more mainstream, they they just say, I'm never going to talk about this again. And if you bring it up, I'm going to ask you, what are you talking about? And uh, there's, there, I, there, I, I, no, I'm going to say there's thousands and thousands of people out there who have either had one experience or very experiences, like you said, throughout the years, and they just, they're in denial. They're in denial. They kind of learn how to coexist with whatever it is that they've experienced. But they think if I talk about this, as crazy as it sounds, it's going to give it, I'm going to confirm it. It's like, you know, one of those things that when you share it with somebody else and all of a sudden it takes on that dimension of reality. Well, they, they want to keep it on the, 
maybe I can fool myself and thinking it was my imagination or if nobody knows about it, it'll just be my secret and that's that, that's the end of that. But yeah, uh, I think this is so fascinating because you said it so well. This could go off in so many directions uh, or various ones. It doesn't have to be one or the other. One, It doesn't have to be one exclusive of the other. You know, are we talking time travel? Are we talking interdimensional travel? Are we talking organic beings? Are we talking mm, kind of spiritual or something that knows how to bend our the, between the dimensions? Uh, I mean, it's like and now with some of the discoveries that they're doing now with the laws of physics, you realize it kind of explains also a lot of the sightings that you described where things are able to go through solid uh, either it's a wall uh, or split. Like you said that that lady, she said she saw that ball of light split and then go through a wall. I mean, that's, it's fascinating. I, I hope I'm still alive when the answers become evident. I really do. And we didn't even have time to get into all the weird creature reports, the Black Panthers and the giant Thunderbird sightings that are going on at all kind of other weird things that are going on. And again, so many of these are incidents which suggest, again, that these animals are not normal animals. They're, they're something else. And my uh, most recent book, Astonishing Encounters, gets into a lot of very weird creature encounters and covers uh, this pretty, uh, pretty in detail. Right, and I imagine that, that especially when it's not just one person, when you have more than one witness or people that witnesses witness it in a very short time period in that same area, I imagine, right? Where Yeah. And I, and I know that even from over 100 years ago, you know, when the newspapers were the only thing, you know, as far as media was concerned, where they would be uh, batches of sightings of really weird creatures that would start and then stop just as abruptly. And uh, there's always been that theory, you know, what was was this a creature from another dimension? Was this something that came through and either went back or was taken back? Like, oops, grab, grab it quick. Um, and that's why it's just seen for a short period of time and never seen again. And and that's not that uncommon. Of course, you're talking like about the, the Mothman breakout back yes. in 1966 in West Virginia, which isn't that far from me. And then we have periodic cases like that. I mean, we've had localized bra bla localized bra uh, incidents where there were multiple witnesses, and they began to experience strange lights and UFOs and Bigfoot and Black Panthers. It went on for weeks and months, and then suddenly stopped. Right. And then it might go on somewhere else. And these type of things do happen with these local uh, breakouts of these type of events. Right. And, I mean, one of the, you know, the... You know, the things about Mothman that's always been looked at is, you know, it's uh, basically it's seen uh, where something something horrific is going to happen. A loss of life. It's almost like, a, a, and as I think I remember reading last year that it was seen or described as being seen in Chicago. And I was like, Chicago? <laughs> you know, that they had seen something Mothman-like in Chicago. There were many incidents last year that... Uh, Lon uh, Strickler from Phantoms and Monsters and others were investigating, and there's a lot out there on these ongoing reports of these giant winged creatures they're seeing in Chicago and some other areas. I had a report of one uh, 
January of last year, right over top of a car. I think it was right between the uh, Ohio and Kentucky border. I hear the I get reports somewhat similar to this, but these sightings again are a lot more common than people realize. But I, you know, I, I interviewed the witnesses. I kept in touch with a lot of these people, and you know, w- with Mothman, and you know, there's this talk about that it was a uh, predecessorty, and maybe it's just a coincidence. Who knows? But it's not something that commonly shows up in the cases I've looked into. Right, and and um, and it almost makes you wonder, like, is there some? I mean, we could go down this road. That, that you know, as far as the energy that humans put out, as far as if there's something going on in certain locations with the population that's there, okay, that for some reason attracts certain anomalies at that time, for example, for them to manifest or to be seen. But also, um, almost like, for, like you said, well, there's a correlation between sightings very close to power sources. Um, is there any? It makes you wonder. Is there any point where we uh, are are the power source, especially if we're talking either a city or a town or even a family, where they are the power source? They're putting out some type of uh, kinetic energy or any. I mean, whatever the that basically it, it attracts it or allows it to manifest in that vicinity. Uh, I mean, and like, I mean, we could go down and that, that's a possibility. And that's a good thing. Everything is possible because there's so much we don't know. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. This is, wow, this has been incredible. Stan, thank you so much. I would love to bring you back on because I want to talk about the cryptids. I love cryptids. You must, I, I mean, and this is the thing. I, I believe that there's, how can I say, I'm a big believer in facts and in evidence and trying to um, provide, in other words, uh, and, and trying to capture some type of evidence. I, I believe in that. And, and I want to say also in the scientific method, because I don't think one's exclusive of the other. But at the same time, I think that there's so much despite all of our advances that we don't know or understand that when it comes, like you were talking about, when it comes to about sightings of all these creatures that don't fit into what we know of our world, of our animal kingdom, that it's like, okay, why can't it be something that has come in through another dimension or if you want to go down that maybe because of the place or the area that's totally unexplored that it could exist without somebody actually capturing it. I mean, I absolutely believe that there's there's things out there that we have yet to discover. Just because it hasn't been discovered doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, which is what, unfortunately, a lot of skeptics, they go down that road. Uh, and they refuse to leave the door open as to, yes, there is a possibility that whatever that is could possibly exist. Maybe not the way we oh, yeah. understand it, that it could exist, but it could. So, well, you know, I, I've always tried to be open-minded, but get skeptical, and yes. we always try to find a logical explanation of what people see. And we have many times, but I've worked on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of incidents that we just cannot find a good explanation for. And this goes on year after year, and everybody is not wrong. 
And again, none of us have the answers. I sure don't have the answers. But we're dealing indeed with phenomena that's just amazing out there. Well, and, and I don't know, I'm sure you saw that there's a gentleman, there's a geneticist out of the UK that was accepting samples for DNA testing of possible what the people that were sending it in were claiming was Bigfoot. And that's great. And it, he tested and none of, obviously, none of it came through as a, I think to myself, okay, and that's great. I, I think that's admirable that especially now with the advances of DNA and ge- genetics, but I think, okay, you're basing this on the supposition that, let's say, Bigfoot or any cryptid is like us, carbon-based, or that it has a, a DNA sequence that we could map. But what if it's not? <laughs> it's exactly. like, what if you're testing for something that you really don't know how to test? Okay, so that's why I'm saying that, that we, as much as we want to think that we can find out the truth, it's only, it's limited at, at the same time. But how, what we do know, and there's a lot we don't know, even in the scientific. So. That about I want people know that if they want to reach me, uh, yes, they can reach me uh, through email at paufo at comcast dot net. And they can visit my website, which is always updated with reports and events coming up at stangordon.info, I-N-F-O. And all my books are available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com as well. Yes, I've placed, I'm placing links to your website uh, on the credits of the show. And I've also showed slides stand with a cover of your books. And I'm glad you pointed out where people can purchase them and how they can contact you. Uh, because I know you just want... Let me ask you, just out of curiosity, do, is, um, do you get, I imagine what people contacting you every single day with emails and every which way, right? It's it's almost every day. And again, a lot of them are old reports and we get current reports as well. So I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of phone calls. Wow. Incredible. Again, thank you, Stan. You were wonderful. And we got to talk again. Like I said, that cryptid thing, we got to discuss that. We have to absolutely discuss it. But Thank you so much for spending this time today. I have absolutely loved it. And thanks for having me on the program. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm telling you guys, Marlene is a happy girl. Happy, happy. <laughs> I'm telling you. You know what? Talking to Stan... I mean, you kind of know this, especially when you, when I say the paranormal, like I said before, paranormal is not, doesn't necessarily have to be ghosts. Paranormal, supernatural, it's preternatural, it's a take your pick. It could be ghosts, it could be UFOs, it could be ETs, it could be cryptids, God. We could go in so many directions with that. But anyway, when you have conversations with somebody like Stan, who has been doing this for so long, 59, wow you it gives you a sense of how much we don't know and i'm going to harp on this again for all that we think we know especially like you know the the theories that the government is knows more and of course they're holding back and for whatever reason and that you know if you want to go the down the road of uh, x-files where not only do we know about them but we basically have a, a 
an exchange of humans with, I mean, a deep relationship. I mean, to, hey, they're just using us as guinea pigs, whatever. Again, I think there's just so much we don't know. <laughs> Despite what everything shows, that, you know, that, that, that planes and, the, you know, these uh, armed forces, the, the planes, and they capture all these anomalies and things that have been, whether it's people with their cameras or fighter planes, it's almost like, I think it's, that shows us how much we don't know. I really, really, truly think, and I might be wrong, but I truly think that there's, it's kind of a myth of how much the government does know that they might have captured or maybe established a reality that, you know, these things, these UFOs are not man-made. I think that it's like, we just know a little bit enough to maybe say, yes, we are being visited. We have been visited by beings from another planet. Let's go with the planet thing, you know, interstellar travel, whatever. And then what do you know about them? Well, we've recovered some bodies and we know a little bit maybe organically about them, maybe. All right. Uh, we've recovered spacecraft and we know we have a little bit of information about maybe the materials they use for whatever. But there's a lot we don't know because we don't have, we, we, we're not the originators or the creators of whatever the source is, whether organically, maybe, or the materials for what they use for their ships or how they, what propulsion or speed or their technology. It's like, yeah, we know it's there, but we just haven't quite captured it. And I know there's people that say, well, you know what, all these advances that they've made with technology is because we have plugged in with ETs and there's been an exchange of information. Maybe, or maybe we've just gotten really smart and it's almost like it piggybacks and it leapfrogs technology that helps us leapfrog from one to the other to the other after the industrial revolution. I don't know, but at the end of the day, I think that for all we know, whatever it is, whether it's a little bit or a lot more, or whether there has actually been an exchange of information or technology, I still think that it's almost like we're at the precipice and down in the valley, way down, is everything we don't know. In other words, what we do know is little. What we don't know is weak. And now we're trying to kind of grapple with the proof that's coming our way, whether it's photographs, people's firsthand experiences, or like what stand where he's been collecting all these stories from people for what, 50 something years? What, everybody's hallucinating? Everybody's lying? Really? I don't think so. And even if you have somebody that had an experience that you could say, well, this person, let's say, let's use an example, saw a bear, but they really thought that it was a Bigfoot for whatever reason, their eyesight's going, and they really believe it. In other words, they're not retelling something that's a lie that's fabricated. Again, how many of those people are going to be the liars, the ones that are hallucinating, or the ones that are mistaken? Okay, if you take that out of the mix, you still got so many thousands of people, like you said, sometimes from very credible backgrounds that have witnessed or experienced something that they can't explain. I personally think it's scary, but it's very exciting. 
I, I really do think in uh, for all that we kind of like sometimes think that us as humans, we got a grip on things and that we know everything. I think that that's we're like, what's that saying? You're a legend in your own mind. <laughs> we don't. I think there's a lot more we don't. And I think we're only going to realize that maybe hundreds of thousands of years in the future when we look back and you're oh, those, back at the 21st. Oh, my God. Could you believe that they thought this and that? And the, like we kind of do when we look at people back in the dark ages. Yeah, I kind of have a feeling that that's how it's going to be when it comes to things of this nature, whether it's the Bigfoot or the cryptids or the ETs or the UFOs or interdimensional travel. We could go there forever and ever. Um, I think that that's, that's really where it's at. And I think it's very exciting. It's Exploration and discovery doesn't always have to be in a physical sense, even though I'm a big admirer of explorers, the ones that you know go to the mountaintops or in history that travel the oceans or whatever great but exploration and discovery there's a lot of horizons on that so anyway guys i hope you like the show i hope you enjoyed uh listening to stan's story i think i'm hoping i can bring him back so we could talk about the cryptids subscribe to my channel get hit like wherever it is that you're hearing or seeing me whether it's youtube if you're catching a podcast version on iHeartRadio, spreaker stitchers bodpeen mixcloud blah blah uh, so you get notified every time I release a show. And if it's podcast, you can download the MP3 file and just le- listen to it when you're know, at your leisure. Um, either way, uh, thank you so much for being part of my audience. I know there's a lot of choices out there. And uh, every time that you choose to share and allow me to listen to my shows, I think that's fantastic. I think it's great. And I, and I want to let you know that I truly appreciate it. If you're one of my true believers, please don't forget about it. I want to hear your stories. Go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Hit the Submit Your Story tab. Okay, remember, I just, I'm not looking just for ghost stories. I'm looking for anything. Uh, doesn't have to be something that happened to you firsthand. It could be something that was told to you. It could be something that happened 50 or 100 years ago. And, you know, your family lived on a farm and this thing was happening. And they've been retelling it within the family through all the years. It doesn't matter. I want to hear it, like I said, and if you go there, we'll figure out how you can retell it, whether it's on email, you want to tape yourself, if you want to set it up so I contact you and I interview you, don't worry about it. I've already got some great shows coming out with people that I have been able to interview. Other people have been hesitant and have said, look, I want to send you, I'll I'll write out the story. Could you please retell it? I've done that. You're going to see that coming up. Oh, no. I'll tell you what. By the time you hear it, no, depends. Uh, Maybe when you see the show, you have heard some of them. Uh, the timeline um, whether you've seen some of the shows that have already been released with those uh, True Believer stories so again guys thank you so much and uh, again you are all wonderful thanks take care